once you've ruled out the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be true. And it is not a question of a little occultism or a touch of mysticism, Mr. Devon. It is vampires and it's a host of damned souls of telepaths. The true God. He's dead. Can't complain. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. You're listening to Paranormal UK Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Paranormal UK radio show, the flagship show here on the Paranormal UK radio network. And you'll notice I don't sound anything like Irene. Um, unfortunately, Irene is uh, under the weather tonight, so she's taking the night off. Uh, I, Irene, if you're listening, I hope you feel better soon and come back uh, next week. Uh, so you've got me your co-host mark johnson and um even though this is a british-based so show you're gonna have a yank hosting it tonight so unfortunately we're gonna have to deal with that i apologize in advance uh so just uh we're coming into the holidays. Uh, just wanted to remind everybody that if you're only tuning in for for our show, be sure to tune in to the Paranormal UK Radio Network. We streaming on our website and on um, uh, TuneIn Radio and the Paranormal po um, Podcast apps. So you can always listen to all of our streaming shows. We've got many different shows. We're adding more shows as we go. We have some a new one that just added, Aliens Revisited, with uh, Dean Capoola, and uh, that is uh, playing on Fridays. So again, lots of new and exciting things as we're coming into the new year. And uh, for what it's worth... I'm sure, like most of you, we can't wait for this damn year to be over. Uh, 2020 has, um, you know, I'm going to be very crude here, suck the ass in and out of a dead rhinoceros. So I'm, but I'm looking forward to Christmas very much in the Christmas spirit. My wife and I, we decorated early this year, kind of like a lot of people did. And uh, we're trying to enjoy things as much as we can. Uh, I don't know about in the UK. I think they're they're finally getting the vaccinations are starting to roll out here in the US. They're talking about another few more weeks. They're still testing and approvals. You know, we're not. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. That's not what this show is about. But you know, we have to acknowledge it some because let's just face it. This is the craziest uh, time in our lifetime. And uh, it seems like every hundred years, you know, we get hit with a massive plague. And this is uh, for our generation. So anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and get right into tonight's show. And I'm excited to introduce our guest, um, Susan Plunkett, is a science fiction writer and psychologist. She received her doctorate at the New York School for Social Research and has been in private practice in New York City for many years. Uh, 
Her favorite part of her work is interpreting dreams using a Jungian approach. And uh, Susan, you'll have to make sure I pronounce that correctly. Um, and for the past 10 years, she's been writing science fiction in which she explores the worlds of the fifth and sixth dimensions. Uh, she has two books that are out. There's Mission from Venus and the sequel, Wanderers on the Earth. Uh, so Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Now, uh, your your books, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I haven't had the opportunity to read them yet. I'm kind of backlogged on my reading. Uh, but uh, just for our, our listeners, if you could tell us just a little bit more about yourself, uh, not only on becoming a, a psychologist, but also, you know, what made you want to start writing science fiction? And from the looks of it, it seems like you base a lot of your 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 fiction on real life events. Uh, well, I was living my life, going along, living my life, being a psychologist, practicing in Greenwich Village in New York City for 31 years now. Um, and about 10 years ago, I, I I always am running to, that's not a good way to say running, I'm always interested in talking to intuitives, channels, psychics, shamans, healers. And in 2010, I was speaking with a channel who's, who was in, then in his 80s, now he's passed on, and he said to me, you know, you're coming to me, but you're a channel yourself. Why don't you allow that? And I said, I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid because what if dark entities come through? I just, I, you know, I kind of block it except when I'm in my office. When I'm in my office with patients, I let things come through that I'm supposed to tell them or that would be helpful to them. And I realize when it's not coming from me, well, actually, nothing is really coming from us. It's all coming from cosmic consciousness. Our brains are really just downloaders, receivers. But sometimes I have the feeling that I figured something out when I'm with a patient. And other times I know something is coming through me as if it's been dropped from heaven as a gift for me to tell the patient. So I would allow it then because it was for another person and it see it always was something helpful and good and a connection was made. But I didn't pull down any general information or any information for myself or my family. Um, and a couple more years went by. I was talking to a wonderful, wonderful healer, Cindy Dale, who lives in Minnesota. And I was talking to her on the phone and she said, it's below zero in Minnesota and I'm burning up because your guides and my guides are all telling me she has to write a trilogy. It's just, it's just a matter of downloading it. Um, it'll just pour through her if she will just open its information that humans need to have. It will come from the formless realm where there is a council and she has sat in this council many times. Now she's, she, me. Now she's incarnate on earth as a human psychologist, but they want her to be a scribe and write down, 
write down information in story form to make it more accessible to people. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. I have a kid. I have a husband. I have a life. I have patience. I have a dog and two cats. I don't have time to write a trilogy. Um, and so I was like, for a month, I was like, it was eating at me. Like, I can't do that. I don't know how to write. I'm not a writer. And then I said, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start. I'm going to see what happens. So I sat down and I wrote longhand at first, actually. Wow. Uh, and I and I just, because it was back in 2016. So I, and then I, my daughter actually said to me, you know, you should just really like, let me put, put some software on your computer and write on that. But the a lot of the first book was written longhand and then I typed it in. Um, and of course, edited it as I typed. And the information did come through. It just poured through me. A lot of it, I was also at the time and still am working with a wonderful shaman, the daughter of an Australian Aborigine. Hmm. And she told me that this was my soul's mission to write these books, to bring this information. And so, and she's also told me that I should write in the morning because a lot of downloads would come in to my psyche during the night or I would travel out and sit with them and counsel in the foremost realm and they would give me information. And so that I should write in the morning before the day got going and I got too caught up in three-dimensional reality again. So I do that. I write when I'm writing. It's always in the morning after I come back from the dog run with the dog. Um, so that's a long answer to your question. How did I get started doing this? Well, I find that very interesting, especially that the channeling came so much later for you in life. So my, my question would be, did you experience or have any types of experiences, um, as a child or while you were growing up? I did. But at the time, I thought all children had those experiences. You, you don't realize when you're a kid, like, that if there's anything weird with seeing beings or hearing things or having certain feelings. Um, and I had a discussion, well, a discussion, I was six in first grade, and the teacher, I had a, had a little desk like all the other kids, by the window. And the teacher moved my desk to the other side of the room by the bulletin board because she said, you're a dreamer and you can't be sitting by the window. And so I said to her, but, but I'm just wondering, what are we doing here? What are we all doing here on earth? Why are we here? And I was shocked at her answer because it didn't seem to be an answer to me at all. But she said, aren't you Catholic? And I thought, well, my parents are, but what does that have to do with anything? That's just Sunday when you go to church. I don't know what it means. But what I wanted to know was like, where did we come from? What's our purpose and where are we going? So I realize now that even as a six-year-old, I was a seeker. I was mm -hmm. looking to know, to understand. And, and I guess I've spent my whole life asking myself and others the same questions so yes i would often feel the presence of the divine 
feel the presence of angels, actually hear th- communications from angels, um, and love that energy. That energy would always make me laugh and smile. And of course, you know, if I said anything to my mother, she would be like, don't be ridiculous. You're not hearing anything from angels. So, you know, you learn to shut that stuff down because it's not really acceptable to your teachers or even to your parents. I heard that a lot from, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I shut it down. Mm-hmm. And it, it, but it came back, you know, much later because the healers and shamans and tarot readers and psychics and aborigines and those people don't tell you to shut it down. They're very supportive and loving about it. So I opened it up as an adult. Well, you know, most of us have these gifts. I mean, even for those people who, um, you know, may not be born uh, with full-on psychic abilities. And, you know, it's, I'm, it's why I, I wish Irene were here tonight, because she is probably one of the strongest psychics that I've ever met and worked with. And although she hates the term, she she calls herself a grandmother and a <clears throat> mother and a grandmother, and that's about it. She doesn't like being labeled, but uh, she has been dealing with these things all her life. And then there's someone like myself who had a few strange things happen in life. But, you know, most of the time, if I experienced something and I went and told my mother, I'd be told, ah, oh, it was your imagination. Yeah. So, yep. So I really didn't start pursuing things until much later in my 20s and 30s. I I turned mostly away from the Christian church and started exploring all different types of spirituality, Native American spirituality. Um, And then, you know, 20 years ago, I really got into, I became a paranormal investigator here in New Jersey. I've been investigating for years, doing doing these radio shows, having the opportunity to talk to lots of different wonderful people like yourself to that even in those conversations really has broadened my horizons. And um, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more of the shaman that you're working with because I have, I'm very interested in shamanism and I have taken uh, a year long shamanic practitioner course. So um, I learned on doing that and with journeying. And, uh, so there's, there's a lot of different things that you don't think you can do or, but then when you take the time and, and, and work at it, especially you'll find that most people do have these gifts. It just takes a lot of patience. That's exactly right. We're all intuitive. We all have gifts, but some people are paying more attention to their rational mind, their, that's what they value, or they're fearful, or they just haven't developed, or they've been shut down, as you say. But I think every single being born on the planet has the ability to be intuitive and to know things and to hear their guides, because we all come with guides. Um, but before I get far from it, I will answer you about the shaman. Her name is Carrie Henwood. Um, 
she was born and raised in Australia with an Aboriginal mother and an Irish alcoholic father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's she was a she was a shaman first because of her mother and her grandmother. Her grandmother was one of those Aborigines, full on face covered with tattoos. Um, would worship um, Uluru which she considered to be that's the largest rock in the world and it's the center of Australia in the center of Australia mm-hmm. and it is it was aboriginal holy land and is considered by the aborigines to be the heart chakra of Australia but also to be the solar plexus chakra of the whole planet earth so she was raised in this tradition Carrie Henwood. And as she grew up, she traveled and she studied shamanism in Peru with the Peruvian shamans. She got cancer, breast cancer, and she went into the jungle for two years and cured herself. And it never came back. That was 40 years ago. Wow. She's a powerful, wonderful shaman. And she also, she, she can, she's a powerful channel as well. And she channels archangels. She channels many, many entities, and she's been a great help and guide to me and very supportive, insisting, as Cindy Dale had, that this was a trilogy and it needed to be in story form, and there was a message, and the message that I was supposed to bring actually probably could be told in a sentence, but I'm taking three books to do it, (laughs) Um, writing the third one now, and the message is this, that... We are all a spark of the divine. We are all one. We are all on a journey. Every being that incarnates on earth does so for the purpose of meeting the divine within and within every other being. Um, And Carrie really supported that this would be the message of the book. Um, And that's what I've tried to do. And as I sit down to write, lots of information comes through me. And some of the main information that came through was that there are about 70 million people, humans, who are here from the fifth dimension. They incarnated like we all do, because most people who incarnate on Earth incarnate here to have a third dimensional experience. Um, because Earth has been, until now, a third-dimensional planet, a planet of duality, right and wrong, yes and no, high and low, rich and poor, old and young, all the dualities, good and evil. Um, but now Earth has moved into the fourth dimension, and so more advanced people probably will be coming, and those who cannot achieve fourth-dimensional level of vibration, that is, they don't hold enough violet light, uh, when they die, as you know, most humans die, um, they'll have to incarnate, and if they can't achieve fourth dimension, they'll incarnate on another planet in some other galaxy, which is still third dimensional. But to get back to the wanderers, uh, I've been told that there are between 70 and 80 million fifth dimensional light beings incarnate as human now on Earth to bring this message that we are all divine. And the reason is that they were, a call went out across the universe asking for volunteers to train 
to incarnate, to bring this message so that as many people as possible could make the leap to the fourth dimension along with planet Earth. Because it would be hoped that of the almost 8 billion people living here, I mean, the original hope was that about half could make the leap and the other half would, when they die off, would go to another third dimensional planet. But we weren't getting those numbers. We weren't, not enough people were waking up because we were still in the tail end of the dark Piscean age. Now we are really, really coming into the age of Aquarius. Uh, and then we have this great thing happening on December 21st, the winter solstice, when Jupiter and Saturn will come within a tenth of a degree of each other. And when you look in the sky, you will see them as one giant star just for a few days at night, right after sunset, right above the horizon in the southwestern sky. And this is very auspicious because they are both now, well, as of December 16th, will be in Aquarius, the house of Aquarius. And the whole planet is now moving into the light age of Aquarius. Pisces, where we have been for 2,600 years, was a dark age where things were hidden and didn't come to light. Aquarius is an age of light where everything gets uncovered, everything becomes known, and people wake up and realize their own divinity. And so the timing of this book, I guess they didn't want me to even write it when I was younger, because there was still too much dark Piscean energy around, and it might not have been received. Um, but it, the way is more open to it, especially now in December and January. Um, so fortunately, the mission from Venus, which tells the story of the volunteers from across many, many galaxies coming to Venus, Venus in the sixth dimension, not the Venus that we perceive, which is uninhabitable with an atmosphere of sulfuric acid. But Planet hell. Yeah. Uh, Venus exists simultaneously, as do we and all planets, in every dimension. So Venus is existing in the third dimension, which we perceive from the third dimension, but Venus is also existing in the sixth dimension, where it is a paradise. So they, these volunteers from many galaxies come to Venus to train for the mission to Earth. But because of the rules around incarnating on Earth, they have to pass through the veil of forgetting, and they won't remember that they are higher dimensional beings on a mission to help humans wake up to the fact that they are divine. So it's a big risk for these volunteers because what if they don't wake up? Or what if the dark side who slipped through the quarantine around Earth and would like Earth to ascend on the dark path rather than the path of light to join planets on the dark side, uh, try to kill them because that's what the dark side does. They want power over beings and the ultimate power, if you can't enslave them, is to take their life. So the first book is called Mission from Venus because they're training on Venus and that book ends with them being born into human infants all over the planet. And I follow eight of them, four pairs of twin flames and they're born everywhere from Mumbai to New York City um, and Cairo and 
everywhere. Um, and the second book, The Wanderers on Earth, begins when they're 21 years old, and they have the eight that I'm following have survived. They have not yet been killed by the Dark Lords, and they know that there's something different about them. But their parents try to minimize, like, when they do something unusual, like on the Caspian Sea, a young boy is watching a fish swim, and he's swimming with the fish, and he reads the fish's mind, and he knows the fish wishes to soar into the sky and fly. So he has the ability of transmutation, and he changes the fish into a bird, and it flies, and his mother sees him, and she's like, you can't do that in front of anyone else. That's too dangerous. You can't. You have to control these powers. And the same with all the wanderers. Their parents tell them, don't let anyone know you have whatever your particular power is, doubling, psychometry, transmutation. So they grow up, and they encounter different situations on Earth. And they don't know each other is here. They don't even know they're wanderers until they're around 21 when they start to encounter one another, meet up. And when they meet up, they regain their memories and their powers, particularly when each of them reunites with their twin flame. Uh, the, the, the emotional, sexual, physical, uh, divine energy opens up their memory again. And... The third book, which I'm writing now, which won't be out for a couple of years probably, um, is The Battle for the Soul of Earth. Will it go to the dark side? Will it go to the light side? So again, I'm blah, blah, I'm a, I'm a big talker, Mark. <laughs> That's quite all right. I'm listening. And uh, y you brought up a couple of points that I would like, you know, for, for our listeners for clarification. You know, there people hear the term soulmates. Everyone out there thinks they have a soulmate. You know, I'm how many times have I've I've done tarot readings and uh, people go, when will I meet my soulmate? And it's like people don't under really understand the concept. And then comes twin flames. And right. if you can explain what is exactly is a twin flame, right? I'll t also talk about what they've explained to me. A twin flame is different than a soulmate. A soulmate is a member of your soul group that you incarnate repeatedly with, and it can be up to 30 people. You go through lifetime after lifetime with a soul group. One time your best friends, one time your mother and child, one time your husband and wife, one time your teacher and student, but you're always reincarnating with this group that's your where you agree to help one another by playing different roles. By help one another, I mean help one another to wake up and understand your divinity. A twin flame is a different thing. A twin flame is one spark, one soul, and when it flies out from source to begin its journey through the dimensions, ultimately to return to source after millions and millions of years, it splits. The spark splits into two. But it is one soul split into two sparks and incarnating through its many lifetimes in separate bodies. And they may encounter one another in various lifetimes or not. But at the end, when they've achieved, again, divine consciousness, they will come back together as one being, as one, as one. Whereas soulmates are not one being. 
they are close beings and you have more than one soulmate. Mm-hmm. But a twin flame, there is only one. It is the other half of your soul, your spark. Well, then let me throw a concept at you because I've heard um, uh, in doing other interviews and diff- some different types of spiritual concepts, one being that um, as souls, in, we talk, people talk about reincarnation. And one of the things that most people look at life and even reincarnation in the spiritual side as a very linear process, when in fact it's even... Um, Physicists like Dr. Michio Kaku or Neil deGrasse Tyson, when they start talking about string theory and they start talking about multiple dimensions and even time being more of an illusion that all time is happening at once, there's a concept of multiple lives that that a person or a soul can live multiple lives at once, you know, even at the same, not only in different time periods, but even in the same time period. Um, I believe even Brian Weiss, uh, who in you know, his books, Many Lives, yeah. Many La- Masters, has uh, discussed similar concepts. And how would that differ from if your one soul, I liken it to being like... Um, uh, an egg or something or uh, putting out tendrils and those tendrils go out and, and go out into different dimensions and, and inhabit different bodies and have different experiences, but it's all happening at the same time coming back in, feeding into the source. Um, so what That's are your right. no what, time? Pardon? There is no time. It is all happening at once. So what are your thoughts on that concept and how would the twin flame concept uh, come into that? The only reason we, we, we use time in the third dimension is so that our heads don't explode, so that everything doesn't manifest at once. We, our, our third dimensional heads would just pop off if they were aware of all the other lives that were living simultaneously. You can see some of them in your dreams or in past life regression. But as you said, physicists told us there's no such thing as time. Um, We just agree to that conceit so that we don't go bonkos. So the twin flames, all the lives are, are, are going on at one time, just as Venus is existing in every dimension at one time. Um, It's hard for humans to, because we're, we're, where we grow up with this conceit of time, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around everything happening at the same time and time not existing in a linear fashion at all. It's more like a vertical thing where it's all happening at once. And what life you're in or what experience you're having depends on your level of vibration. Um, Right now we're talking in the third dimension, and that's a particular vibration. But you're simultaneously, as am I, and as is everyone listening, also existing in every other dimension. So we could be talking in the sixth dimension or the the fifth dimension. But we're not aware of that because we're focused now on the third dimension. Does that make sense? It does. Um, 
Although I really wish I could uh, be more aware of a more interesting dimension than the one I'm currently living in. But... (laughs) Well, your dreams probably dip into it. You know, a lot of times in our dreams, we're actually dreaming of stuff that's going on with us in other dimensions, even in other galaxies, because we could be simultaneously living in several other galaxies while we're also living on planet Earth. And people do dream of life in other galaxies. Now, that in itself would be interesting, although usually my my dreams are usually the anxiety-type dreams where you're trying to do something and all the blocks come up and prevent you from doing it. Or uh, my favorite used to be I used to dream about being back in school and I was late for class and I realized I hadn't been attending the class in forever. And then, oh, my God, there's a test that day. And, of course, I, I, I I got fairly good at some dream interpretation, realizing that when I had those types of dreams, there was some type of lesson that I needed to learn that my subconscious was trying to tell me exactly there's not a living soul who hasn't had that type of dream oh my god the test was this morning and I'm coming at one o'clock it's over I missed it or we've all had those anxiety dreams and that is what they are anxiety dreams just to make us aware um, that we need to take care of some aspect of ourselves that's under stress But there are other dreams um, that do give us information. I have dreamt of myself as a four-legged being, um, like a big, hairy, not anything I've ever seen on Earth, not any being that I've ever seen, but I've actually dreamt of myself being on the inside and looking at my body and seeing myself as this creature, quadruped, with four four feet and legs. and that was a, that was a little frightening, actually, that dream. <laughs> um, because, you know, you go so far out when you dream that one time I woke up <laughs> flying next to my husband and I, he woke up and I said, don't get alarmed, but what is my name? And he said, your name is Susan Plunkett and you're married to me. Um, and I said, right, right, right. I, I recognize you and I just couldn't remember <laughs> I had been in some other dimension, I'm sure, and I couldn't remember who I was in this dimension, even though I knew this was a very familiar dimension, because we go very far out sometimes in our dreams. We're we're focused on our other lives that are simultaneously going on, and maybe we don't always remember our dreams, and some people are actually afraid to remember their dreams because they don't want to know what else is going on. And sometimes they're nightmares, and they don't want to know that either. Right. Yeah, the dream dream world, uh, at least from for me, my perspective is is usually I have standard dreams. I've never really had dreams of of different planets or different dimensions or anything like that. I have had um, a couple of past life dreams. One that was very vivid back in my twenties, where. I dreamed I was uh, in as American soldier in World War II, and I was in a running battle firefight, and I got shot in the chest, and I felt it. I felt it getting shot, and I dropped to the ground, and then I was in kind of confused and uh, in shock and daze. I was still trying to fight, and I remember like grabbing a grenade and pulling the pin to throw it. And then I got shot in the chest again. It dropped behind me. 
The next thing I know, it went off. Boom, I felt the concussion. There was no pain, but everything instantly went to black. And then I stopped breathing for a minute. And then I, that's why I woke up gasping because I had stopped breathing. <laughs> but that I... that dream was very, very vivid. And it took a number of years later when the movie Saving Private Ryan came out. And I watched that movie and then I started recognizing like some of the locations and whatnot. I realized it was Normandy. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know who I was exactly. Uh, that was probably your last death before this life. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's not linear, but that was sort of a simultaneous life. Wow. Well, well I, you know, you may have dreamt of other lives on other planets because we'd have, on average, five or six dreams a night in a course of seven, eight hours sleep. But the ego blocks a tremendous amount of dreams because it doesn't see the purpose of it. You mm-hmm. know, the ego says, hey, I'm the one who earns a living. I'm the one who gets you across the street. I'm the one who makes your meals. Like, we don't need to hear from the unconscious. We don't need to hear from the collective unconscious. And we certainly don't need to hear from the universe because we're doing, I'm doing all the work here. So it does block dreams. But people can remember their dreams if they make an effort because it's like a muscle. You just have to ask for the gift of a dream before you fall asleep. And then either write it on your phone in the morning or scratch some words on a piece of paper and you can train yourself to remember many more. Or you will have a powerful dream, like your dream of storming the beach at Normandy. And that will break through. Because some dreams are so powerful, they break through the ego's block. I mean, that's amazing. I hear a lot of dreams, but that is quite an amazing dream. That, that Thank one you was... so much for sharing sure. that. Sure. Well, I'll tell you another one that I had. And this was one that I had back in high school. Uh, I've only had like about two or three really intense, you know, very symbolic or, or past life type of dreams before. But there was one dream I had where, and this was around the time where my own spiritual beliefs and um, values started to change. Coming, growing up in a Christian church, Presbyterian, you know, traditional values. And when I started to realize I was being driven more towards spiritual, metaphysical types of beliefs. But I had a dream. I was driving a car on a windy mountain road. I lost control of the car, went over the cliff. And as the car is falling down... About 100 feet, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my mom's going to kill me for wrecking the car. But when the the car hit, everything went pitch black. And it stayed black for, for a few very long moments. And then all of a sudden, the light started to slowly come up until I could see a room. And there was my family, my my parents and my two brothers, standing over a casket. I knew I was in the casket and they were all grieving and upset. But then I turned and looked and I saw myself uh, sitting on the floor in the corner watching this whole scene take place. Right. And, And I had this like, 
look of sadness on my face, not out of, you know, grief of dying or anything, but it would, I later interpreted as, you know, a kind of a sadness in that going through, because I, I, when I woke up from this dream, I was just like in a cold sweat and, um, scared the living crap out of me and the road that I dreamed of, I wouldn't go up there for like years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but I felt that the dream was more symbolic. It was a symbolic death. It was a change in my life and where my life, my whole focus in my life and my belief system was breaking away from the traditional values of my family, which it still is. They're still in their values and I'm in mine and my beliefs. And, um, you know, I think that's what it was symbolizing. It was the, that it was a symbolic death of change. I mean, even, you know, I read tarot cards and when people, they think they hear the the death card, they, they get all afraid and thinking it means physical death. And that's not what it means. It's, it means change, you know, trans or transformation. So that's what I felt that that dream was trying to tell I me think, at that time. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a beautiful dream. Um, I definitely agree with you that it was talking about transformation and they felt that they had lost you. But the fact that you are in the casket and then simultaneously alive in the corners, also the psyche is giving you a little teaching in the dream that what happens uh, when we die is just the body. We drop the body, but we don't, our soul does never die. You know, so most people are at their own funeral because they're observing it. Um, And I think our dreams try to teach us that lesson also. So dreams can be happening on many levels because actual death dreams rarely, if ever, uh, are represented by a body in a coffin. That's why you're right on with the transformation, because in 30 years, I have seen many people who died during our work together. And I, so I know their dreams from a week or two before their death and sometimes as early as six months before their death. And they're not, the psyche doesn't represent our death as the death of our physical body, not in dreams. It can be, be represented by the uprooting of a huge tree. It can be uproot, represented by all the clocks stopping. It can be represented by a train coming into the station and everyone can get on. And when the person who's about to die tries to get on, the doors close. Uh, Or it can be represented by a person getting on a train and everyone on the train is already dead and they're going along and then the tracks run out. So these are dreams that have been actually reported to me. Um, So... When you dream of yourself as dead, whoever might be listening, don't be afraid that you're dying. Um, You're transforming. The same as if you dream of a snake, a big snake or a small snake chasing you or biting you in the neck. It means change is underway because snakes shed their skin. They go through changes. So when the psyche presents a snake in your dream, you're about to transform. So dreams can serve many purposes. They can show us alternative lives we're simultaneously living. They can warn us about events. Dreams see around corners and into the future. It's one way to penetrate the veil 
uh, just as doing past life regression or life between life regression work also penetrates the veil. But you're a good dreamer, Mark. <laughs> well, I'll try not to take up too much time of some of my dreams because I've mentioned the use on, on past shows, but uh, I dreamed of 9-11 two days before it happened. You and 2,000 other people in the tri-state area. But what's funny That's about amazing. mine is it was very symbolic, as most what of my dreams dream? tend to be. I, dre I dreamed I was standing on the shore of a river, and it looked nothing like here. It was like a very barren. It was almost like a river on Mars. You know, it was very red sand, and and across the river, it was like sandy and hilly. I couldn't see a city or anything, but yet I knew way over there was New York City. And then all of a sudden, there were two side-by-side -side nuclear explosions Ooh. and they and as they went off and you know how they go up in the mushroom clouds and then the tall stalks and that's the stalks on the mushrooms seemed very very tall and thin you, you, you catch that meaning wow. there yeah and in that dream i i'm like trying to run away with other people i'm 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 um, reacting to everything and then all of a sudden, far to the south, I saw another uh, nuclear explosion go off. And you see her Pennsylvania. That well, that would have been west of me because I'm here in North uh -huh. Jersey. So I was later on when I put two and two together, and it actually took me. I didn't realize what it was, and even after nine eleven happened, it took two days after nine eleven happened before I remembered that dream, and it all came back and hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh -huh. And I realized that the the third explosion I saw was Washington D.C. Wow, the Pentagon. Yeah, the Pentagon. Oh. That's amazing. You see, that's how intuitive we are. And that's also how you see that time doesn't exist. Because we wouldn't be able to dream these things if time uh, was spread out in a linear way. Because it's it was all happening simultaneously. You could be tuned into it two days before. Your dream was two days before or two weeks before? Two days before. Two days before. There was a woman who dreamt of it exactly as it happened two years before. And I think that she was dreaming that because she was picking it up when they were planning it. Hmm. Most people like you were dreaming of it within a week or two before. Um, because the unconscious, time doesn't exist in the unconscious. Time only exists in our conscious mind. When we're awake, we're aware of time. But when we're in the state of dreaming, we're in touch with the collective unconscious and our own unconscious, and there is no time. So you can dip into anything, World War II, something two days hence, uh, a life, you know, it's, it's free. Dreams, dreams are unbound by time, which is, which is why you are able to dream that. And, you know, it wasn't just happening um, in around the tri-state area. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was on the phone uh, on the show, a radio show called Coast to Coast, talking to this guy, George Norrie. I know. Yeah, and, I'm very familiar with him. And he said, we got talking about dreams. And he said a week before 9-11 happened, his daughter called him up and she said, Dad, 
uh, and she there in St. Louis. Um, Dad, I I had a dream last night where I saw all these people covered in ash from a big building collapsing. I saw them like walking and ash falling from the sky like snow, but it was ash. And so she had dreamt it and she, she was out there in St. Louis. Hmm. So I think it, it, it wasn't just uh, those of us in the tri-state area, but because time and distance uh, don't affect the unconscious. The unconscious gets around that. It's free, free of that. Well, here, here's a question for you. How would you differentiate dreams or being in the dream state uh, compared to... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To uh, someone astral traveling. I think it's it's one in the same. Um because whenever I've astral traveled, I thought it was a dream, but then I would look up something and realize, oh, I was actually there in my dream. I could, the landmarks are exactly the same and I'd never been there. Just like you, when you saw Saving Private Ryan, you recognized Normandy from the landmarks and the scenery. So I think we do, we do leave our bodies every night um, to go traveling, which is the ego just does not let us be aware of so much that that's actually going on with our many selves, many as you know, we're like a diamond, many faceted jewel, and many things are happening with us at once. And we're not aware of them because, because our heads would explode. And if everything was manifesting at once, but the one time when we are freer is when at night, when the body's resting and asleep, we are out and about. We are out and about. I was once, two summers ago, I was in The Hague in Holland visiting a friend, a girlfriend. Um, and my family was back in New York with our dog. And I didn't know it. But I went to sleep. I didn't know at the time that she was the dog had gotten sick and was about to die. I came, I astral traveled back in my dream back to our apartment in New York City. And my daughter swears the dog saw me. And when I woke up in the morning, I realized, I thought at first that I had just been dreaming that I was back in New York City. But Oh, because when I first woke up, I thought I was in New York City. And then I looked around and I realized, oh, I'm not at home. Where am I? And then I realized, oh, you're still in The Hague. So I dreaming and astral travel are, I don't think there's anybody that, except for really advanced yogis and shamans who astral travel in the waking state. But 
I know that they can do that. But most of us astral travel when we're, our bodies are asleep. I don't know. Does that answer in anything part of your question? It, it does. It, it's also, it, again, talking about shamanism from the shamanic standpoint of um, journeying, uh, yes. participating in a trance-like, going into a trance-like state and journeying to... And in, you know, most uh, shamanic traditions, there are, there's the upper, middle and lower worlds and gaining information from those, um, which in itself is a form of astral traveling and and going, going through different, different types of dimensions. Yes, they go often, they go for healings or they go for soul retrieval. They go to the cave of lost souls. They go to the cave of lost souls of children, and they bring back parts of the soul that get split off, or they bring back the information that's necessary for the healing. They're going into other dimensions to get information that we don't have here. I mean, it's possible for any of us to request when we fall asleep at night to dream, to to go to a dimension where the information that we need exists. For example, if it's for a healing, you might you might imagine, okay, I'm going into a higher dimension or a dimension in the future. We know the future is now, but where this is known, the cure for what this person has is known, but I'm going to get it. And I think that happens with people who invent things often. Um, they've either dreamt it or it has come in a flash of insight or they have travel to uh the future where the by the future i just mean a different vibration um to get this information and then they bring it back to third dimensional reality and they invent it <laughs> like i think benjamin franklin was a wanderer for example and many inventors i think tesla was probably a wanderer because his oh, yes. consciousness was so high that he wanted everybody to have electricity for free. Yeah, until Rockefeller shut him down. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> Were you... see, because Rockefeller didn't have as high a consciousness as Tesla. No, and th- can you imagine where we would be today if Tesla if had been able to prevail over Edison and Rockefeller and all of the capitalistic, you know... A mindset of the day of everything being, you know, materialistic and money based, we we could be traveling amongst the stars right now because he was so advanced. And, you know, when he died, the U.S. government swooped in, took all of his research. And that was that. And now we're still driving cars with 100 year old technology (laughs) and we think it's still brand new. And it will, but that will change. I think Tesla was probably a wanderer from the fifth or sixth dimension, and he brought many gifts. But you know, most of the people he encountered were still third dimensional. And you know, we'll all get there. We will all eventually evolve to where we leave greed and self-interest behind, and where we don't desire anything for ourselves that we don't also desire for every being. And so we have to be patient 
until we get there, until everyone gets there, because we're all the same. We're all a spark and we're all on the journey back to source, but we're all in different places, as it were, in the third dimension. But even the people that stole Tesla's ideas, they also were existing in higher dimensions, but they were just focused on the lower dimension when they did that. Well, you brought up something earlier in the, in the show, and, and I think now I want to bring it, but go back to it because I think it, it illustrates what we're talking about and where we currently are at this stage in, in our existence. You mentioned about coming in from third to fourth dimension and moving out of the materialistic third dimensional world into a higher level world. Yet, when I look at the world right now, the absolute utter chaos <laughs> that that we are going through and the divisiveness and the ab craziness that is surrounding us right now. And it's just, it's hard to put into words because I'm so frustrated by it that are we going, you know, what are your thoughts on what we're going through right now? Is this an, um, a symptom of the ascension of people fighting it? You know, th there's a struggle between people not wanting to move forward. Um, uh, I, I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts on this in general of what we're currently going through in relation to this ascension? I think that it's not that some people don't want to move forward. It's that they disagree on how to move forward. Um, because there are people, like take for example, when people talk about, oh, I want to preserve America. And, you know, if, if someone like that person from Georgia, that woman who's QAnon, um, Kelly I call her Kelly Stepford because she's like a Stepford wife um, who's running for Senate against Reverend Warnock. Um, her view of saving America or preserving America means, you know, saving white America, saving America of the 1950s. Whereas my view of America is everybody's entitled to all the same things. I don't want anything for myself that I don't want for every other being alive. Um, and it's different that for my, for me, the promise of America would be liberty, justice, and equality for all beings, not just white beings or educated beings or rich beings, but for all beings. Um, but when fear is too strong, um, when people see it as a pie so that if everyone is getting a slice, they're getting less, then that's a problem because it's not a pie, but there's a certain portion of the population in America that thinks it is a pie. So they think, well, if I, if everyone has the same, then I'm not going to have what I'm used to having. And that's just a mistaken or that's a very third dimensional view of what's going on. A fourth dimensional view is that Everyone can manifest. Everyone is divine. Everyone is powerful. There is more than enough for all beings. 
and we don't have to be afraid. So you're either coming from love or you're coming from fear. And I see it as the people who want to hold back or, or you know, certain groups, white supremacists or QAnons, or that they're fear-based. They're just afraid. And we can't hate people because they're afraid. And I think the people that want everyone to succeed, everyone to have a fair shot, everyone to have food and homes and medicine and care are coming from love. So we're all making a choice in everything we do, the way we shop, the way we spend our money, the way we eat, the way we donate, the the words we use. Do we call it the China virus or do we think that this thing happened on earth to show us that we're all connected, one bug to unite us all? It's a choice. The words we use, they can, we can either come from fear like this other country did this to us or, hey, this thing happened on the earth to all of us and we're all connected because of it and we can take a lesson from that. So as much as possible, um, at least in the way I'm writing these books, both Mission from Venus and The Wanderers on Earth, I try to come from a place of love and understand fear of other people and fear breeds the desire to control others to diminish others to deprive others and and you know one way that it's done in this country is to talk about yes we're going to take back america or make america great again like it was in the days when you know i don't know whites reign supreme and all that code lingo they use but the other thing is to like come from love, not fear. And when you're coming from love, you must even love those people who are coming from fear and say to yourself, look, they're coming from fear. They'll get there. We have to just understand that this is a fear-based movement and there are at least 72 million people who are fear-based or greed-based. But there are over 80 million who... I'm talking about in America, who voted for love, who voted for equality and generosity and who voted for love. So that's kind of how I see it. And when it comes, you know, if Earth moves deeply, deeply into the fourth dimension, uh, it will be only on a vibration of love. So people who want to or can't overcome their fear when they die will not be coming back to Earth. They will be going to another planet that's third dimensional that will support that consciousness of fear. And those people who are coming from a consciousness of love and equality will be able, if they want, to incarnate on Earth as a paradise because within two, three hundred years, the golden age will be fully upon us on Earth. And there will... People who cannot vibrate with that consciousness, it will be too painful for them to be here. But they they couldn't sustain themselves in the middle of that kind of consciousness. So, but they can they can continue their growth on another third dimensional planet, and eventually they will ascend to the fourth dimension in their own time. And there's no rush. It's just that the third dimension is painful because of duality, because of good and evil, dark and light, hate and love, fear and love, 
rich and poor, it's a painful dimension, whereas the fourth dimension is much more loving. So that's why the mission from Venus was set to help more people move into the fourth dimension. Um, and that's why the wanderers, I believe, are here on Earth. I actually believe literally they are here to help more people come to the consciousness of love so that they can ascend fully into the fourth dimension and then they can choose to come back to Earth as a fourth dimensional paradise in another golden age or they can choose another fourth dimensional planet because there are millions and billions of planets in the third and in the fourth dimension. So we have choices of where we incarnate. Does that answer your question? I know I'm a bit long-winded. <laughs> to a point, the only thing that I will... I look at it as it's it's I'm seeing I'm I'm going to take a take a point a stance where looking at things from the middle because I'm seeing fear on all sides right now I'm seeing violence I'm seeing you know fear mongering going on with everyone right now and it's, there's very little talk about love or equality which you know it's what it's one of the things that hurts my heart is you know as someone who has always had a desire to help people and want to you know bring humanity together and the divisiveness that i'm seeing again this is from my perspective um there's just enough hate and fear to go around and I think right now there's so much that people don't get or that other people have usurped certain groups or agencies or um, even in media to push a certain their viewpoints using fear tactics. And now I'll point at the media a lot. And I point at the media in from a term of I'm I have I come from a broadcasting film background and I learned very early on. And this is all before any of this happened, you know, to watch the news and watch what people are saying and seeing how a newscast is put together and how snippets are changing, how our news changed over the last 20 years from being respected journalism to tabloid journalism, uh, sound bites, uh, and the, and all of it sells fear because you know what, when you sell fear, people tune in to watch because they're scared to death and they got to see what's going to happen next. And that turns into ratings and ratings of course is money for commercials. And it, it's a capitalistic driven business. Um, Oh, good Lord. What was I watching the other day? Um, brilliant movie uh, came out about 20 years ago with Al Pacino and Russell Crowe, The Insider. Did you ever see that movie? No. What's that? It, 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 Michael Mann directed it, the guy who did Miami Vice in, in the movie Heat. But it was about in the mid-90s where there was a whistleblower from the tobacco industry 
who did an interview for 60 minutes and it was blowing the whole lid off of the tobacco industry, how to big tobacco was manipulating cigarettes uh, to get more people hooked and, and making, you know, people, people getting hooked on cigarettes and whatnot. And it sounds like a boring movie, but it's absolutely riveting in that, you know, uh, Al Pacino played uh, a producer with 60 Minutes and trying to get this guy interviewed. But the corporations, the big corporations were using all these almost mafia like scare tactics uh, to try to shut th this guy up. And it, they destroyed his life. They destroyed his marriage. He lost his wife and kids. He's lost you know, like everything because they were trying to keep him from releasing this information. And even to the point where even 60 Minutes almost didn't air the episode. And this is all based on real life. This all really happened. Um, 60 Minutes almost didn't release it because they were afraid of litigation from this big tobacco company that could sue them into oblivion. So it, watching this movie and seeing like the character of Al Pacino and his integrity and wanting to get this story out, which he thought was important and sticking by a source and sticking to the facts and the truth. And it, today it's, it's more opinion. Everything the, for me, the news yeah. is all opinion. And instead of just reporting a fact, they, they, people throw in an opinion or certain words to Manipulate right. manipulate people into having an opinion, like they're telling you what to think. And again, I'm not sitting here pointing at any particular political side because I'm saying I've seen this happening for quite a long time. In fact, the, a lot of the changes in our society, a lot of the more negative changes I've been watching over the last 20 something years. And. You know, I've done shows with uh, people who talk about the old programs the U.S. used to have, like the MK Ultra program and and mind control and using ways to manipulate the public over a long term goal, not just within a couple of years, something you're going to force on people, but generationally changing people. And um I'm not going to get off on a, on a tangent here on it. Just, just that the point is I'm still seeing enough fear on and materialism on all sides of the aisles. And I'm seeing very little of the, what you, if what you were calling like the, the, the love and equality that, that I would love to see. I would love to see that happening. And right now, I don't see that happening. I see things actually getting a lot worse before they get better because the turmoil we're currently going through is far from over. And not just be what's happening with just this country politically, but around the world and the COVID situation, which certainly isn't helping. And so, you know, I have my own anxiety of the future of where we're going to be in the near future. Uh, what I, I would love to see this type of ascension. And I've always had this thing with me uh, a couple times when I tried writing, but I'm not a good writer, so I never really got anywhere. 
of that there's redemption for everyone. There's a chance for everyone. And this is one of the reasons why when my spiritual view started to change, you know, I got away from the concept of hell, realizing there is no such thing as hell. You know, that's a concept that was created to scare people and keep them in line, keep power going within. Hell is created to create fear. Yeah. And... And uh, even our history, how our history has been changed and whitewashed and rewritten and what's really happened um, through humanity throughout the ages. There's so much we don't know or that has been changed on purpose to hide the truth of who we are and uh, and humanity's journey in general. So we've come through this long dark ages as you mentioned before the what'd you call it but was it the pisces or yeah the piscean age piscean but we're moving age. yeah now to aquarius so things will shift i'm i'm still seeing that that uh, unless things happen really quickly i still see this is going to take a while i don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime um I, I there is shifts going. There are those light workers that are working out there, but I there's me personally. I've lost a little bit of faith, and I have some doubts, just because of how bad things are getting. And I do think they're going to get worse before they get better. Well, that's a reasonable position to take, um, and I respect your position. I think that things are getting better, but see, we're just, we're both coming from where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. And whatever I'm picking up in the information that I'm getting is that um, things are moving for the good and that two to 300 years from now, there will be paradise here. So I, you know, I certainly respect your position that you feel like things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. I don't have that feeling. I think that, yeah, things are rough. People are caught in fear, but that's all it is. It's just fear. And love is so much more powerful than fear. When the dark rises, whether it rises on the right, the left, the middle, the young, the old, the light also rises. And there's dark and light in every being. Um, I just think that throughout the universe and in most humans, there is more light than dark. There may be a few humans who are antisocial or very, very troubled, you know, where there's more dark. But the majority of humans, there's more light wherever they are in the political spectrum or the age spectrum or the, any spectrum. So um, – I just feel the light coming. I feel the light coming. I feel, yes, there there is fear. We all have fear. But I feel the love is stronger than the fear. And the light is rising. Yes, the fear is rising, but the light is also rising. When the dark rises, the light rises. So, um, But I respect your feeling and your focus, too. We're two beings perceiving our reality the, in all the ways which we perceive it. Um, and well, so I don't here, know what else to here, say about that. Well, you know, again, what I want to emphasize is the fact that I want to believe that. 
I want yeah. to there to yeah, be yeah. that. You know, it's the personal things that uh, that I've gone through and what we're going through. Maybe it, is, it has soured me a little bit. I think the negativity in the world has gotten me down a bit. You know, because yeah. when when push comes to shove, I believe, you know, we are spiritual beings. We are pushing for things to change for the better and move towards the light. And, you know, maybe I'm just having a dark night of the soul moment because um, oh. it, it's I just find things to be rather frustrating and yeah. maybe I'm expecting too much too soon. But I've also... I also have to admit, too, that for a while there, I felt I was more spiritually connected. And the last few years, I've been pulled more into the physical world with my job and work and home and and whatnot. And I haven't taken the time to try to reconnect spiritually. I mean, I was I used to be, you know, meditating and doing working on shamanic work and dream and journeying and uh, working on towards healing. And a lot of that a couple of years ago, I, I went through some medical issues and it kind of put everything in the on the back burner. And I haven't really come back from that yet. You know, I, though, I feel this big desire to on front burner again. Put, put your shamanic work back on the front burner and you're going to feel a lot better. You, you know, it's hard. We're in this, you know, we're in, we're in the thick, we're in a heavy dimension here with gravity and the earth shifting from third to fourth. But I think you answered your own question that, you know, you had to put it for various reasons on the back burner, but you'll be happier if you move some of that or you allocate some of your time every day, even though we know time doesn't exist. You focus on your shamanic stuff again. I bet you'll be a lot happier. And also around the 21st, I don't know if you can see the sky from where you live, but on December 21st, the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year the longest night of the year go out just around sunset which i guess will probably be somewhere between 4 30 and 5 and look in the southwestern sky for the biggest brightest star and it won't be a star at all it'll be jupiter and saturn joined together and that heralds the letting go of the old and the bringing in of the new and see if that um maybe helps you refocus on your shamanism and your meditation because that's really the only thing that makes me feel positive and good is praying meditating journeying writing those those things are tremendously sustaining i think for many humans and for you too well definitely i i i planned on that i've been keeping tabs on on that um, alignment because, well, I'm a, I'm a space geek. I admit it. <laughs> I, I have a fascination with the universe and planets and, and uh, science, not only the science, but the metaphysical side of it as well. So, you know, if I could get off this rock and go do some traveling, I do it in a heartbeat, but which I guess you can, if you're doing it um, astrally or uh, journeying, but. You can do it. Just plan on it. You know, for 2021, just plan to do some astral traveling or some space traveling. 
Yep. That'd be great. That'd be a lot great of fun. For you. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is channeling. Now, you mentioned that you receive, were receiving information about not only with with your writing and the books, but, you know, tell me a little bit more about the, the types of channeling that you do and, and what kind of a process is that? Is it just more of a knowing that's coming through you or is it like some trance channelers like like an Edgar Casey where they uh, where they were actually speaking and presenting information verbally right Ed, yeah Edgar Casey was actually traveling to the akashic records and then the various beings were actually verbally speaking um i receive pictures sometimes they present ideas and sometimes They'll actually tell me a word to use. No, don't use that word. Use this word. Um, although they, it's it's telepathy. Um, I know that that's what they're saying to me because I'll be starting to type something and then they will correct it. Um, and then they will show me images. So I see a lot of pictures and receive information telepathically. I don't believe that I'm traveling anywhere. I believe that they're coming to me. Um, although in night, I do believe I'm traveling if I see them at night, but, and it's a council that is speaking to me, that is channeling information to me. And they think of me as a scribe. I'm, it's nothing's originating with me. I'm just their scribe and they're giving me information. So it's a variety of as simple as correcting a word to as big as showing me a scene that I see almost like a movie. I can see the scenes and then I just write them down and describe what I'm seeing. Um, and not and some days I can't do it for whatever reason. If I'm in too much fear or too much anxiety or I'm having too many other issues go on with patients or family or something. So I have to be kind of in the zone or I don't get the pictures and the words and I just walk away from the computer if I can't. But most days they're already waiting for me to sit down. Well, let me ask with your, your psychology work, does that ever come into play when you're working uh, with patients that that type of information or knowing comes through? Yes. And that happened from the very beginning, 30 years ago when I was a young psychologist, um, I would receive information for the patients. I didn't say, oh, I'm hearing something I'm supposed to tell you. But it would like just land in my consciousness and I would suddenly understand something about the person that they hadn't yet told me or they had forgotten or they um, couldn't speak of. And I would either hold that awareness or I would because it would help me understand them or I would say something to lead them to that awareness and that didn't happen in every session, but um, because actually about 30 years ago, I used to go every Wednesday morning um, to the Upper West Side and to a meditation group, and we would meditate for three hours, and uh, a disincarnate being would speak through the meditation leader, uh, a being called who identified as Manka. And once I asked Manka, 
what it had been like when he was a human. He said, I've never been a human. I've never been a human. And he told me, I was asking him about my work. And he said, really, there's little you can do, but if you will let us work through you, we will help your patients. So I said, of course you can. He said, you're a young psychologist. You don't have experience. Let us work through you. So I sort of opened up the channel then, but only for patients. And it was 30, well, not 30 years later. Let's see, 2015, like 25 years later that I opened it up for myself to write. Um, but initially, I I would just receive information. So that's you know, and and these books, the mission from Venus, uh, or no, mission from Venus, and the wanderers on Earth. Um, I could not have written these books. I did not know this information. Um, I did not know that this was possible for higher dimensional beings call wanderers to incarnate in human beings for the purpose of helping humanity to realize our own divinity and to let go of our fear and to move into love um, and to make the choice for love over fear day by day. I would never have been able to come up with that. So I, I do credit um, this counsel from the formless realm that has gifted me with this information um, to put in these books to help people understand what's going on on the planet now. What are your thoughts on, or how, you know, there are so many people who feel, who believe in angels, uh, whether they're, they're very religious or even very spiritual, angels are a very big thing. Um, I mean, even some metaphysical churches that I've attended, you know, they talk about the angels and I've always had a trouble with the word angels and that concept, um, you know, I understand the um, the idea of higher dimensional beings. Uh, would you consider the, them to be the quote-unquote angels that a lot of people talk about? Uh, no, I think angels are their own thing. I don't think they, they are higher dimensional beings, but uh, I don't think angels in general incarnate as humans. Um the shaman, Carrie Henwood, the, the daughter of the Australian Aborigines, for a period of time was able to channel archangels. And I had many sessions um, where she was, they were giving me information. And they were so beautiful. I mean, I never saw them, but I could feel them through her. And when they talked to me, I was in ecstasy. Um, so I absolutely believe in angels and archangels. Um, I just, and in fact, Manka, who told me he had never been a human, he, he was the medi came through in the meditation 30 years ago. One time I was, my father was ill and I was afraid he was going to die. And I said that I was fearful. And he said, you know, don't let your fear hold you so tightly. Um, he's not going to die now, but if you want, when he is going to die, if you call on me, I will come. So 20 years passed. My father was on his deathbed. I called on Manka, and 
I didn't know at that time whether or not I didn't know what Munko was. I knew he was never human. I didn't know what realm he was in. And I didn't know if he came, but I called on him. And a couple weeks after my father died, I tried to contact my father through this medium. And the medium said, your father is fine. He's wonderful. And golden angels came for him. And one of them was sent by you. And then I knew that Munko was an angel. And I had never known that for 25 years, that Munka was actually an angel. So, and also the intuitive said to me, and your father wants you, wants to thank you for putting those cashmere socks on him in the hospital in the last days of his life because his feet were so cold. No one knew that I had done that because I had gone to his home to his dresser got the socks put them on him so that medium could not have known that that had to come directly from my father Hmm. so um i believe that she knew what she was talking about when she said and one of them was sent by you so yeah i definitely believe in angels and i believe in archangels i love angels now where Um, do they fit in the I, I mean, there seems to be a hierarchy of these uh, discarnate beings, higher level entities. When you hear about, like, say, the the council that you deal with, you know, the higher level beings, there's ascended masters, there's, you know, a lot of spiritual beings that have never incarnated as a human. But there still seems to be this hierarchy of different types of beings. Now, are the angels and archangels at the top of that food chain or, you know, or is there others that are, that are similar to it? I'm, you know, sometimes I'm just trying to get all the concepts trying to understand. No, I don't think, um, I think, I don't know that it is a hierarchy. I think it's just differences. I think everyone, every angel, every higher being, every human, every animal, every tree, we're all points of light. And we're all, all of our points, each of our points of light make up the divine and or make up the neural net or source or collective consciousness, whatever it is that is source. But I don't know that it's a hierarchy. I just think it's different strokes. You know, angels are one thing and humans are one thing and each dimension is its thing. And um, But I, I don't experience it really as this one is higher than that one. Even God, if if you want to call it God, I call it source or cosmic consciousness Um, or the divine, but I don't see it as one being at the head and all of us underneath. I see it as like just one swarm of all of us interacting, taking different forms, um, focusing our consciousness now in the third dimension, now in this life, now in our World War II life, you know, all kinds of points of light. But nobody higher or lower. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you know, and not even any dimension higher or lower because we're all in all the dimensions at once. There's just a slightly different consciousness in each dimension. And we experience all of that. 
I mean, maybe other people would disagree. I don't have the answers, really. I just have what I feel about it. And I could be dead wrong. But what I feel is angels are not higher than us. They're just a different thing. Just like fish are not, um, goldfish are not, I don't know how to equalize anything. Dogs, cats, fish, birds, nobody's really higher. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just moving along. Um, I guess where the, I understand what you're saying, and I think maybe it is I'm trying to think of something that uh, I thought I was getting away from was linear thinking. <laughs> and I think if, when you think of a hierarchy, that's, you, that's you're thinking linear, linearly instead of going, you know, from left to right, you're going from up to down. And yeah. um, so that the, you, there are so many different dimensions and states of being beyond this three-dimensional reality and you know that's the problem with most people right now we're just really stuck in the third dimensional reality and need that that extra boost to to move beyond it because i think there's so much potential out there and yeah and we're gonna get a boost we're gonna get a boost when um saturn and jupiter come together like you've been waiting for that to refocus your shamanic work. I think anybody, you, me, and anybody listening, if you want to reboot, <coughs> a good time to reboot is the winter solstice. Let go of what doesn't serve you anymore. Just let it go. Just intend to let it go and embrace what serves you. Embrace whatever makes you feel loving and let go of whatever scares you. Um, and that that conjunction, which hasn't happened in Aquarius um, for 800 years, uh, is a good opportunity for us to like, because you're into the universe and I don't know, just send your consciousness out there to connect with Jupiter and Saturn. And Saturn helps us let go of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Jupiter supports us and amplifies what we want to create. So, I mean, I think it's, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to look every night from the 16th to like, to start seeing when I can see it. But you know, it's not easy to see stars and planets from New York City, because the lights are so bright here. But I think if I walk over to the Hudson River, I might be able to see the horizon. And see, see I, I'm only a little you, bit over an hour away from you. I'm up here in North Jersey by the ski resorts, you know, Mountain Creek and and all that. So I'm up in the mountains and I don't have as much light contamination. So I have my oh. I have binoculars and I'll definitely be out looking at them over that that whole week period. Oh, you'll be able to see with binoculars for sure. Wow. Well, it's. I've got a patient coming up in a few minutes. Okay. Around. Well, so I love talking to you, Mark. Yes. Well, again, our guest tonight has been Susan Plunkett, who is a Jungian psychologist and also author. And uh, Susan has been fantastic talking with you tonight. And where can people find your books? They can find both Mission from Venus and The Wanderers on Earth on Amazon. Or they can look at my website, which is just my name, SusanPlunkett.com, 
Plunkett has one T, P-L-U-N-K-E-T, SusanPlunkett.com. Um, but thank you all, whoever's out there listening. And Mark, thank you so much for this opportunity to meet you and hear your dreams and your stories. Oh. You're amazing. Oh, well, thank you. It's been great talking with you, too. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to a, another edition of the Paranormal UK radio show here on the Paranormal UK radio network. Everyone out there, I know Christmas is coming. So, you know, deck the halls, get your presents and uh, hope everyone has a nice and safe holidays. And uh, we will have another new show next week. So we will catch you then. Everyone have a great evening. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.